hauling Just look at the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's tan Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Welcome to a special salute to veterans edition of Fast Line Fast Track. We're honored to have you with us. On this episode, we talk with Michael O'Gorman, the founder and chief agricultural officer of the Farmer Veteran Coalition, about that organization's work to connect veterans and active duty military members with careers in agriculture. We hear from Warrior Rounds founder and Black Hawk Down soldier J.T. Cooper about his work to help veterans and their families express themselves through song. And we talk with former military intelligence officer turned Nashville singer-songwriter Jenny Lee Miller about her career and her latest single, God and Country. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, it's an honor to have with us Michael O'Gorman, the founder and chief agricultural officer of the Farmer Veteran Coalition, which is the nation's largest nonprofit organization helping veterans and active duty military members embark upon careers in agriculture. Michael, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Uh, thank you for having me, Brent. This is a, a great opportunity to talk about our group, and uh, this project's just turned into the uh, um, you know, my greatest accomplishment in my life. And, uh, I'm, I'm, it's been a, it's been a wonderful journey. I feel like I probably got more out of it than anybody did. So well, this is a real American success story that started with an idea after reading a November 2006 report by the University of New Hampshire's William O'Hare and Bill Bishop that showed that rural families were being affected by the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan more than others in America. And that's when you decided to put the wheels in motion to create jobs on farms for returning veterans. Uh, yeah, that report was real eye opener. Um, you know, the uh, it was following the years with a lot of casualties in Iraq and Afghanistan, and it just showed the uh, tremendous um, disproportionate number. Now that we have an all voluntary military, uh, the disproportionate number that come from rural America, and the 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 smaller the town, the higher the number. You know, the the proportionately, and that. Uh, um, and that's what really kind of lit the light bulb in my head. You know, here we have uh, a crisis and uh, need for people in our rural communities and and in our agricultural community more than ever. And um, you know, people, there's a lot of things that agriculture faces, but uh, the need for human capital is probably number one. And so, um, kind of put two and two together and thought, well, this would be a great thing to help the veterans but it'd also be a great thing to help uh, agriculture. And today you serve more than 20,000 veteran members from all 50 states and U.S. territories. You have 15 state chapters and have raised millions in USDA, corporate and private funds to help veterans turn farmers. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, well, we've got a lot of help. And uh, I tell you, the uh, um, you know, agriculture contrary to what uh, some of the public think is really our most um, uh, decentralized um, um, industry, uh, you know, a, a piece of our economy. And, um, you know, mostly, um, so there's, it hasn't been easy to mobilize as an industry behind helping veterans. A lot of big corporations, big banks, uh, big box stores, uh, 
you know, companies with tens of thousands of employees have been the ones that have traditionally stepped up to help the veterans as they coming back this time. Agriculture is really dispersed and, uh, um, and our veterans in our members, uh, you know, our two most common addresses in our uh, the 20,000 plus members we have are rural route and county road. And mm-hmm. uh, I love the one in Texas, which is a uh, farm to market road that's a, uh, uh, like dates back, I guess, into the days of the early truck farms. But, um, you know, we have a real rural membership and, uh, you know, helping them is something that's really taken the agricultural industry to get behind. So you started rallying support for this in 2007. And of those who turned out were three mothers who had lost their sons in either Iraq or Afghanistan, Nadia McCaffrey, Dolores Kesterson, and Mary Tillman, who you may know as the mother of former NFL star Pat Tillman, who left a lucrative pro football career to enlist in the Army after 9-11, was killed in Afghanistan in a friendly fire incident. And as a proud Arizona State University alum, I can tell you Pat's DNA runs deep through ASU, where he played ball and it's great to see that his mother played a role in the farmer veteran coalition's history uh, just a great exemplification of service and sacrifice uh she became a good friend and a big supporter and that was really my impetus you know at the time i was a uh, very successful in my career um i was a uh, in my career was farm management and vegetable production and uh, my last 20 years of the career, I, I happened to be um, in the right place at the right time to build three of the country's largest uh, organic vegetable operations. Um, in 1990, I left a, uh, a relatively smaller farm in the East Bay of uh, San Francisco Bay Area and um, to go manage the first organic farm. And um, when I left it, it got developed. Uh, the developers were eyeing it and uh, I had rented it. And uh, so I was able to walk away. And um, when I got to read um, the biography of Pat Tillman, I think it was written by, um, by his wife and um, um, he it found out he got married on my old farm. Hmm. So it turned into a vineyard and a, a wedding site, and he got married on where I grew vegetables for for a number of years in the San Francisco Bay Area. So, so there was a, a there was a neat connection there too. So in 2008, you left a 40-year career in production agriculture to start the Farmer Veteran Coalition out of the back of your pickup. That had to be quite a leap of faith. Uh, yeah, I've my life's been a little bit a leap of faith and. Uh, uh, you know, I was actually um, not to toot my horn, but I was getting pretty good at running large uh, companies. You know, my job was, you know, if a if a organic company wanted, um, you know, X thousands of boxes of this product or that product a week for all year, was you know, Michael, go do it, go find the land and uh, um, the farms in different latitudes and different climates and microclimates and put it together and. Uh, um, so the last company wasn't too interested in me becoming a potential competitor when I left and uh, offered to keep me on the payroll for some years if I didn't go do that for someone else. And so that's a little bit of that's a little bit of the backstory there. But, um, you know, it definitely was a uh, uh, it, it took longer and uh, more effort to get started in, in some ways than I thought. But it 
definitely got way, way, way bigger than I ever imagined. One thing I found fascinating is that when you were doing your due diligence prior to starting the organization, you found that out of the 40,000 groups nationwide that serve veterans, none had the mission of introducing veterans to careers in agriculture. Uh, that was, you know, I mean, just like in the produce industry, you look, you know, you think about, am I doing something that someone else is already doing? And, you know, if this is really needed, is there someone else that's already doing this? If they were, you know, I might have gone to them and said, can I help you? You know, because that's been my my career path was, uh, you know, I wasn't the guy with the money to get something started. Uh, but I was, uh, the person that was, uh, you know, and I, I didn't traditionally have my name on the box or, um, or the person that, um, that people in the, uh, the consumers knew about. I was the guy that was hired to make it happen behind the scenes. And so, uh, uh, but in this case, nobody was doing it. And so I thought, let's, let's, let's see if we can make that happen. So you start the group and immediately start making an impact. And within a couple of years, the organization receives funding from the Iraq and Afghanistan Deployment Impact Fund. And you find yourself speaking at a coalition for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans event attended by USDA leaders. And that turned out to be a big moment for the organization. That was a huge moment. Uh, um, you know, the that uh, uh, funding was uh, part of uh, the largest uh, single donation to veteran uh, to support veterans in American history that one man made of uh, uh, the one donation was $128 million. And uh, uh, we got in that group a little late, so we got a smaller amount of money. But, uh, you know, I called it, you know, I used to say there were 50 groups in it and um, that were picked and and got some um, um, considerable funding. And we got some less, but we had put us in touch with those other groups. And when they had their first government partners day, um, I got asked to speak about agriculture in October of 2009, and uh, really a whole bunch of upper echelon people at the USDA just uh, walked across town to to um, um, hear the hear the talk. And the next day, uh, uh, several of them and uh, several leaders of the coalition went to meet with them, then Secretary Vilsack, and uh, it just really opened the door. The uh, USDA has been a, a key ally uh, through both of uh, the last two administrations, the current and the past one. So then a couple of years later, you're speaking at Drake University, the National Forum on America's New Farmers, and you throw out the idea of a microloan program for veterans who want to get into farming. And that leads to the USDA creating such a program. That, you know, that's probably my, uh, that's great you know about that because that's probably uh, something that's not too, um, uh, not everybody knows the backstory of that. But yeah, I was put on a panel about groups helping beginning farmers and it was, it was a great conference and there were two women on the panel and they were both um, advocating for, you know, the USDA has uh, uh, their larger uh, $300,000, I think it's gone up to $600,000, um, either operating loan or capital loan. And uh, um, the and it requires that a beginning farmer have three years of experience. And uh, the moderator who was uh, uh, later on became um, even more connected with FEC was uh, Gary Madison from that oversees the beginning and small farmer programs at uh, Farm Credit Council. Uh, he asked 
the other women, the women were advocating that the requirement for being three years of farm experience be reduced to two. And he asked me what I thought. And I said, probably the only one here that's really farmed. I didn't want to, you know, put, you know, you know, put anybody down, but, you know, having farmed that, um, you know, I know that things can happen and you could lose a lot of money and that debt's a real stress factor for veterans. Number two, I didn't think that, you know, it'd be like, I said, it'd be like reducing the amount of time that you had to become a doctor. It's not probably not going to be a good idea. You know, they, they, we, 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 need, we all need experience to become successful at, at a career as difficult as agriculture. So I said, what about making a microloan? And I said, you know, a microloan and the, the veterans, you know, debt's a real stress factor for veterans. They're looking at this as a, as a new career. Uh, let's make a smaller amount. And um, I got, um, you know, long story short, they rushed me out to DC to, um, to talk to them and share that idea. And it uh, uh, first was going to be rolled out just for veterans, but um, um, it ended up opening it up to all beginning farmers. And uh, it's, it's been a great program for, for all beginning farmers to be able to um, establish uh, um you know, uh, some credit with the USDA and and get themselves started with a, without an insurmountable amount of debt, you know, until they can get a little bigger and a little stronger. So then you fast forward a couple more years to 2013, and then you enter into agreements with the American Farm Bureau Federation, Farm Credit Council, and the National Farmers Union, and a national board of directors was established. How did that help move the organization forward? Yeah, that was a powerful meeting. You know, I remember... Um, we met and, um, we were back in Des Moines again and, uh, you know, it's just really center of farmland and, uh, you know, we had the strong representation from the agricultural groups from day one. I figured if this thing's going to grow, uh, you know, under, under my leadership and my limited, uh, amount of time here, uh, that, you know, I, I need to pull in some partners. And uh, so the first thing I did was to go after what I called the, you know, our big three partners in terms of, in terms of rank and file farmer members. And that was the the Farm Bureau, the Farmers Union and Farm Credit. And uh, every one of them embraced it, um, supported it, and it has been critical, critical to every step of our growth. Um, and now, you know, even uh, we'll talk, we'll probably talk about our chapters, but critical to the formation of our chapters. And so really allying ourselves with the agricultural um, industry. But there was also another moment at the meeting where we had a, um, a early supporter from the Department of Defense uh, who came out, uh, who had kind of uh, been for a while at one of our um, um, agricultural colleges, uh, technical colleges, and then went back to the, um, to the, to the Department of Defense and uh, Intelligence Services. And at one point, he, he asked me and a couple of people to come outside. He said, you know, this isn't our last war. You know, this isn't the last time. And uh, we need to have an org- we need to have this organization in all 50 states for next time there's something happens. Uh, we need to just grow this. And, uh, um, it, it was compelling and just as much as this work's been, it's compelling and we just, uh, it just helped move us forward. 
And what does that look like today in terms of the chapters across the country? Well, the chapters are real critical to our growth, you know, because early on I would go, uh, you know, get invited by an agricultural group or um, a university to speak about this. And uh, there would be veterans in the audience there would be veterans attending that were uh, farming already or wanted to farm. And I always expected in the beginning that they'd be coming up afterwards and asking how I can help them. What can I do for what? How can you can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And what I found was uh, Brent was they all came up and asked, wow, how can I help you? What can I do for you? And so, you know, I, you know, I really in the spirit of Veterans Day, that's a lot why we honor the veterans, because that sense of service that we don't see in a lot of society, you know, but um, it comes so strongly. And, uh, you know, so over time, I realized that, you know, if we can, if I can, if we can, as an organization, channel some of that interest, uh, uh coming, you know, that bottom up, you know, like people like Devon saying, wow, you helped me. How can I help you help more people? And uh, um, that's essentially where the chapters are. You know, there's a lot of um, our members feel a strong sense of identity with our organization. That's a real other, you know, secret to its growth. You know, they have, you know, they like the guys and gals would come up and say, you know, this is this is my life. You know, these are the two parts of my life, you know, you know, outside my family, you know, you know, my church, you know, my, my neighbors, but these are the two parts of, of, of my path in life. And uh, I want to be a part of this. And so the chapters really allow people to do that. And, um, and the, the other thing about the chapters is uh, these groups, you know, the farm bureau, uh, the farmers union, the, uh, uh, farm credit, um, their associations, their regional associations. Uh, another big national partner we have is Agribility. Um, it's not in every state, but it's in about half the states and it helps. Um, it's there in Kentucky and uh, it's been a partner to be, you know, it, it helps uh, farmers with disabilities. Maybe they've had it their whole life or maybe they had an accident or a disability come on during midway during their career, but it helps farmers with disabilities maintain their ability to farm. Well, slightly over 50% of our 20,000 plus veteran members have one level or another of a service connected disability. And, and it's, that's so, so agribility has been a great partner. So, so when we form a chapter, the first thing we want is, is, any and all of those four organizations that are active in that state to become a part of it and to uh, bring their leadership into it and, um, and their membership into it. We also partner heavily with the state departments of agriculture and in a lot of states, the uh, uh, also the state departments have uh, veteran affairs and uh, sometimes their employment um, people want to get involved, so it's a, it's a, uh, the land grant universities, and we really build something of you know who's representative of agriculture in that state, and how can they help this? 
So another milestone came right here in Fast Line's backyard in Louisville, Kentucky. Seven years ago this week, Veterans Day 2013, when then-Kentucky Department of Agriculture Commissioner James Comer announced a partnership that would give the Farmer Veteran Coalition the sole license to promote and certify homegrown by heroes products in all 50 states, and Farm Credit Council donated $250,000 to launch the campaign. How's that program grown since its inception? Well, it's been wonderful, and that was a wonderful day, and uh, you know, just a wonderful, creative, uh, um, you know, going into going into that day um, uh, in 2013. I had already been working on trying to figure out a label to identify the veterans grown product, and I'd come up with some pretty uncreative, you know, veteran grown. I, I actually spent money with the trademark association for a couple of things, and they came back. That's too generic you know you need something uh, uh, you know because that you that doesn't mean um, you know any veteran could use that you they shouldn't be a qualifier for it and uh, um, and then I got a call from some veterans in Kentucky that said uh, the members of FEC Michael you know we're rolling this state department the state uh, department of agriculture uh, is rolling out this label and um, you got to come out here and talk to them. And they were so open, uh, Commissioner Comer, and um, and he's since been um, um, gone on to be um, a representative in the in the uh, in Congress. And as even Congressman, I mean, and Commissioner Quarles has mm-hmm. continued to be a tremendous uh, tremendous supporter. You know, a state cannot spend their money uh, supporting efforts outside their state. So it's a great partnership where they've developed and uh, on the label and we've developed in the other 49 states. It's going so well that we're kind of crossing our fingers that uh, maybe we'll end up with ownership of it before too long and uh, wait for that announcement. But I think that uh, that's the direction we're going on. And um, it's really given veterans, um, particularly those that um, sell directly to customers, a way to get identified in the marketplace. And uh, just to give you one idea, um, there was a young, uh, a veteran uh, came home in in, um, Alabama, uh, back to the family farm. He now his brother is also leaving as a a military and the two of them are involved in their uh, family farm. And uh, they raise, uh, you know, Alabama crops like uh, they do corn, corn, cotton, and I think peanuts, you know, different uh, southern crops. But they they took their corn and um, they put it in a grain bin, which we actually bought them the grain bin through our fellowship fund and uh, cracked it, cracked it and put it in a grain bin. They put it in 50 pound bags and um, and then they sell it to, uh, you know, um, hunting and fishing and uh, stores and feed stores uh, for, for deer bait. And uh, the front of it's got a, the homegrown by heroes label on it, their, their farm label and um, the back. And then after they empty it out, um, they could tack the bag up on a tree. The back of it's a target that they can do that. So it's a, just a great way to, help veterans, you know, add value to their crops and, and, and be a nice uh, competitive in the marketplace. So we have a, um, 
something over 2,000, 2,500 veterans using it around the country. Their aggregate get sales are over a hundred uh, uh, million dollars. They don't all, um, not everything sold with the label on depending on what the market is, but, um, but a lot of it is. And so it's a really growing and we partner with almost um, uh, 23, 24 of the state departments of agriculture. I just listening to a nice veterans day announcement, um, coming out of South Carolina where they were um, talking about the chapter there, but also the, their partnership with the homegrown by heroes label. So a lot of the States have a logo that combines our logo with their state logo or their state effort to, to support their, um, their state produce. Well, yet another big milestone for the Farmer Veteran Coalition came in November 2014 when you sponsored the first Farmer Veteran Stakeholders Conference in Des Moines, Iowa. At that first conference, you had about 200 government, nonprofit, corporate, and private leaders who met to discuss how to foster collaboration and support veterans in agriculture. And now you fast forward to 2020, and the National Stakeholders Convention will be held virtually next Wednesday and Thursday, November 18th and 19th. This year's theme, quite apt is Veterans Farming Through Adversity. How have you seen that conference grow since the first one in Des Moines? Well, we had our last year was in um, uh, Austin, Texas, and we had 500 veterans there. And, uh, um, and you know, it wasn't just a growth in, in um, the number of people attending the conference, Brent, but we had uh, um, 70 uh, speakers at that conference, the um, the vast majority of them, almost well, eighty percent plus of them, were our members. You know, so we we actually, you know, we needed a panel about uh, poultry production, and we needed a panel about uh, beef production, um, flowers, vegetables. You know, we we were we were the the speakers were our own members, many of them who um, went into farming as first generation and been at it eight to 10 years and actually uh, have a really um, success to share. And so uh, it's a great, like I said, you know, our rural, our, our farmers, uh, just like uh, our veteran farmers, just like uh, uh, farmers in general, often work in isolation and away from neighbors, often deal with stress that comes from farming. And on top of these, uh, our, our, the vet farmer veterans are, farther from support, uh, uh, peer support and veteran organizations. And so this gives us a chance to build community, to bring them together and get to know each other. And friendships have, have um, um, blossomed and continued over the years and support with the, each other. So unfortunately we can't meet in person this year. So this'll be our, our best effort. And, and the team's put together a great program and, um, on the on the fortunate on the good side bad side on the good side it makes it a lot less costly uh for people to attend and uh, um and it's a great way to um not only um, get some good educational um 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 information but um to you know to be able to hear and and uh, hear about the fec and other people working in it and and um, it's got a great app with uh, a uh, large amount of uh, exhibitors, including a lot of uh, um, regional groups helping veterans in agriculture and our chapters. And so 
So just a great way to um, get a taste of what we're doing and see how to get involved. And anyone who's interested in the conference can visit the Farmer Veteran Coalition website, farmvetco.org, to get more information. They break it all down for you there. And I tell you what, the organization took another big step forward when Jeanette Lombardo was named executive director. She comes from a military family that also operated a dairy farm and spent decades in agricultural banking, which seemed like a natural choice for her to oversee the coalition's fellowship fund, which to date has funded $3 million in equipment for more than 600 veterans. Uh, yes, actually, it's been uh, this year, but um, that I passed on the leadership role to Jeanette. You know, our board did an excellent job in in uh, going through actually, you know, several hundred candidates uh, before they finalized, and she's brought a lot of tremendous energy to the project. And um, another good thing about it, it's allowed me to take a new role as chief agricultural officer and really focus on teaching and helping the veterans in the vegetable production side. But the fellowship fund has always been, you know, our favorite project, my favorite project. It's uh, uh, that's $3 million that we've been able to give in small grants. Um, we, we don't give money directly to a veteran. Um, instead, it's a competitive grant. Last year we had 450 applicants and um, um, we, we, purchase things on their behalf. And so if a veteran calls in and said, writes in and says, you know, they want help, um, uh, you know, with a squeeze shoot for, to handle their cattle or some fencing or, uh, digging a well or, um, you know, uh, whatever piece of equipment or, um, um, breeder livestock is a favorite thing for mine, you know, because we don't give the first, uh, we don't make the first $5,000 investment for a farmer, but, um, but, uh, we make sure they got, uh, skin in the game. They've started, they've kind of, I like to say is they got themselves to first base and, uh, you know, kind of like the, um, you know, <laughs> the, your, uh, your son or grandson in my case in the, in, uh, you know, in little league, you know, get to first base and they're looking for, you know, whether to keep running or, to, you know, speed it up and keep going. And so we, it's, it's been a tremendous, uh, it's a tremendous moving project. And, and uh, um, the, the neat thing about it too, we can take in-kind donations. So great agricultural suppliers, we're building a, um, uh, I know Tractor Supply will give us next year, I think it'll be our third year of gear, or maybe our fourth, but of giving us $51,000 gift certificates, you know, because we just don't have the funds to help every veteran with the larger grant. And that's been a huge, huge help. But but we've had other um, agricultural companies that are uh, giving us uh, in-kind donations from um, from the um, equipment they, they sell. And that's really helped boost um, the amount of veterans we can support. And another way that uh, agricultural um, um, suppliers can get involved in the project. We also have a Kubota tractor um, in the kind of the sister project to our fellowship fund is given, I think, uh, 21 tractors away now uh, over the last um, um, years. Um, to so so this year they they the tractors range from um, um, the small uh, L series tractors uh, where it was appropriate for someone um, um, 
a UTV and a cash gift where that was appropriate, a mid-sized tractor where is that appropriate, and a, um, uh, a long-term, uh, you know, a lengthy lease on, on um, you know, 140 horsepower tractors where, where that was appropriate. So uh, we're really, really uh, thankful to Kubota for, for really stepping up and um, helping us. It's, it's a really, you know, nothing, nothing helps a farmer get going than, than uh, a little horsepower there. What are some of the benefits to veterans who are supported by the coalition? I know their membership discounts, mentors, and training opportunities will help you not only learn about farming, but the business and finance side as well. Well, well, you know, I th- I would say that's kind of the you know there's a, there's a lot of skills that need to happen to go into farming and uh, business and finance is one. Um, also the um, um, you know the practical skills, but you know we've had tremendous support over the years from Farm Credit. You know because they have um, you know the eighty three associations and uh, you know they're 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 farmer owned um, um, banking um, uh, collective you know cooperatively owned banking operations. And so these are farmers with with uh, business expertise and employees with business expertise. So we've probably given dozens and dozens of, you know, of workshops across the country in conjunction with farm credit in both what we call farm literacy, uh, you know, uh, I mean, um, um, and um, business planning and um, financial literacy and business planning. And so um, we're also looking to, there's a couple national veteran groups that focus on those same issues, training veterans. Veterans have a higher than um, normal uh, or, you know, uh, the general public um, rate of wanting to go into business um, coming out of the service. Partly that's just their independent streak and, uh, um, and uh, the, you know, that can do attitude. And so there are some organizations that have really been focusing on uh, helping veterans go into, um, um, you know, become entrepreneurs. And so we're, we're looking at partnership with uh, some of these organizations where they can help us uh, really drill down. And they're, and they're seeing an increase. They're talking to us because they're seeing an increase in veterans coming to them. They say, we've got all these veterans that say they want to become farmers. We don't know anything about farming. You know, we know about business, but, you know, we don't, you know, this is, we're city people. And so we, we're going to enter into some pretty exciting partnerships with them to help with the, um, the business training. And um, we also, you know, with um, Farm Bureau is really, um, um, they've started a mentoring program um, called the, um, the Patriot Project, and uh, where they've been matching uh, older farmers, experienced seasoned farmers, uh, many of who are veterans themselves, with um, more beginning veteran farmers. They've done some great um, matching in Arkansas and Texas, and they're moving into uh, West Virginia and Indiana, and and I think they're really looking at expanding that program. So. So uh, mentoring is just another tremendous way uh, for an existing farmer um, to get involved. And um, um, we also have, um, um, we've done some great work 
uh, some of the most exciting work that we've done the last couple of years out of our conference has come, um, you know, we invited at the first conference, not just uh, representatives from the USDA, but from the SBA, the Small Business Administration, and the Department of Labor, particularly their vets, which is veteran employment and training services. And over each conferences, we, we eventually added in the Department of Defense and the VA and got them involved. And so they, uh, all these agencies have different things they do. The, the uh, VA now funds we did some tremendous studies. Uh, we partnered with um, some researchers at the VA and uh, about the therapeutic of, uh, uh, benefits of veterans either, either going into farming themselves or just spending some time on some of these uh, community farm projects that are that are around the country and uh, how it's helped veterans and um um, even e, e, regardless of whether or not they want, they pursued it as a career long term. So the VA has helped um, funding a lot of these projects and efforts. And uh, But with the Department of Defense and the Department of Labor, I think one of the most exciting things we're going to see in the next uh, couple of years, because it's been inching forward, but um, is, you know, when someone leaves the military, their last week is spent in in um, the transition assistant program tap, and um, we're working the the Department of Defense contracts with the Department of Labor to manage that program, and so they were all working together to do more introduction of agriculture as a potential career path to be introduced to veterans at that time, and in. In the U.S. Army's, we placed with our through our Kansas chapter a number of of uh, servicemen. They're not veterans yet, and women coming through that or getting close to that program through something called the Skill Bridge program at with the Army, where um, vet servicemen and women in the last six months of their service have taken on uh, apprenticeship programs on farms in Kansas, paid for by the. Um, by our tax dollars, by the end, uh, uh, through the uh, Department of Defense. So we're just, these are the kind of collaborations that uh, we're real, real excited about. So aside from the jobs created over the history of this organization, how have you seen efforts made by the Farmer Veteran Coalition change the lives of veterans on a personal level? Well, that's probably the most humbling thing of, of it all, Brent, is we hear that a lot, you know, this has changed my, we hear, you know, we probably hear, we, I, I, you saved my life all, more times than we could count. Um, these are veterans that feel like farming is really uh, giving them uh, new hope. And also, a, you know, a, a, a lot of veterans deal with uh, the post-traumatic stress, uh, particularly of combat. And um, we've kind of found that, that uh, the thing we can offer, you know, we can't, people think, oh, farming, that's so bucolic and, and chill, that must be really healing and all of us involved in agriculture, no, it's the op far, as far away from that as possible, you know, that, that the stresses and the difficulties. What we find, the veterans say, the difficulty is part of what attracts them. And that sense of a new sense of service and a new sense of purpose is is really the best thing we could offer them. 
They're becoming part of our agricultural community, strengthening our rural communities, helping to feed America, helping create uh, food security for America. These are all uh, um, helping you know, produce healthy food. These are all lofty things that the veterans feel um, uh, really good about. And uh, that really help, it helps people through their struggles. You know, the downside of that, I worry that, you know, what happens if, you know, they devote five, tens and 10 years into that and, and it falls apart and doesn't work, you know, so there's that, there's that concern. And that's just where, you know, I think that all we can do is just double down, you know, all of us in agriculture together to, um, um, to help them. And also to, as an organization and as an agricultural community to to help veterans to understand that um, there's other ways to become part of our industry through employment um, you know to understand uh, there's a, you can have a day job in agriculture and uh, and raise some cattle raise some hogs raise some tomatoes for or sweet corn to sell in the summer and um, and be and you're 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 just a farmer. You could be a farm manager like I was. You don't fill out a Schedule F, but you're no less a farmer. And uh, so a lot of what you know, you can grow something, but not necessarily market it. Maybe you can grow for a company and uh, take some of the stress of figuring out uh, the marketing and maybe possibly even the finance. So so we're, we're really trying to broaden the, the ways that people look at how to become a farmer and how to be part of the part of this uh, wonderful agricultural community that that uh, that that we all live and love those of us that are in it. So as we prepare to wrap up 2020 and get ready for 2021, looking back at where this organization has come from since 2007 or 2008, are you amazed at the progress you've been able to make in such a relatively short amount of time? Uh, I'm, I pinch myself every day. Not everybody gets to start something that outlasts them, outlives them. And, and so, um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled and honored and, uh, um, um, and excited about the future. You know, I really think that, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, with Jeanette coming on and, and with our continued, uh, um, support from the agricultural community and the uh, um, that um, and the bottom up support the creation from the chapters. Uh, this thing's gonna be around for a long time. So, if anyone listening wants to become involved or thinks they might be a candidate for support from the organization, how do they get connected? They they should check out our website. It's a uh, www.farmvetco is just short for Farmer Veteran Coalition. So F-A-R-M-V-E-T-C-O dot org, which is O-R-G is for nonprofit. So uh, www.farmvetco.org. They should call our office, uh, the staff, even though a lot of them work outside the office at different times, they're still, they still answer the phones. And uh, our phone is 530-756- one three nine five five three zero seven five six one three nine five. Google Farmer Veteran Coalition. Check out the conference. Get involved in the conference. And if you have a state chapter, contact the state chapter because that's a real, real neat way to get uh, 
to meet people and get involved. Well, again, go check out that website, farmvetco.org. And Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track. We appreciate your time and we welcome you back anytime you want to share the latest developments with the Farmer Veteran Coalition. Well, thank you, Brett, for having me, and I appreciate it's a, uh, the, this opportunity very much. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler Equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's great to have with us a military veteran whose fight for freedom didn't end when he was honorably discharged. Nashville singer-songwriter J.T. Cooper is the founder of Warrior Rounds, an organization that helps returning service members and their families get their thoughts and feelings on paper and into song. His work is having a huge impact on the lives of many, and we're going to tell you all about it. JT, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hey, what are you doing, Britt? Man, uh, how have you been? I'm good, buddy. I'm just living life and trying to get through this COVID stuff, but that is what it is. We've had you on the podcast before, but for those who might have missed that or are unfamiliar with you, before we talk about Warrior Rounds, take us back to your youth growing up around farming and what inspired you to serve your country. Well, I, I was raised on a chicken farm, and we raised broiler chickens for Tyson. And uh, we would have thirty to 40,000 chickens every eight weeks. And I milked cows before I went to school and when I got home from school and we had pig, we get a pig in the fall, a cow every summer, and I mean, every spring. And I'm not unique to the farming community, but uh, for me, I always felt like, you know, I grew up reading Louis L'Amour books and wanting to be that cowboy that rode off into the sunset. And the closest I could figure out to come to that in this world we live in today was to join the military and ride off and try to go save the day. and quote unquote, be the, be the hero of the story and that kind of thing. So I had to find my own path. It, it wasn't that I, I hated the farm. I, I, you know, I grew up learning how to work and not being afraid to work. And, you know, I told my dad along the way, he came to one of my shows and we had a couple of thousand people there. And when I got off stage, he said, you know, I said, what do you think? He said, man, he, he said, I don't know. And I said, well, one thing I know is that not all work takes a shovel, but thanks to you, I'm not afraid of that either. So I've been able to put the work in and do the things that needs to be done to try to be who I feel like my, I'm called to be. But along the way, I haven't been afraid to touch a shovel and do the, you know, put in the, the back work. And I look at your work outside of music. You have a successful plumbing operation in the Nashville area. And I think that work ethic inspires a lot of the people who work around you. Well, I've got 21 employees and I feed about 75 miles every Friday. So it, it's kept me honest and, you know, starving artist wasn't a role I decided that I wanted to play. So I found a way to stay in music and do what I do and, and still be able to make a living and feed my family and take care of things. And honest hard work has never been far from my repertoire. Yeah. 
So your service takes you to Mogadishu, Somalia in 1993, which is a real hotspot of terrorist activity. But did you ever imagine finding yourself in the middle of what you encountered? Well, you know, I, I, at the time, I really didn't have any clue that I would be a part of a blockbuster movie. Not that I was in the movie, but they made the movie about me and my brothers that were in Mogadishu. And, uh, you know, if you go to uh, Amazon Prime, it's the best place to find it right now. You can go to Black Hawk Down, The Untold Story. I'm actually in the documentary. And they came and asked me to, to retell some of the stories about what we went through at the 25th, uh, 25th anniversary of Black Hawk Down. So... Yes, I was actually there on the ground. That's where I got a Purple Heart and my Combat Infantryman's badge. And my roommate, Jimmy Martin, was one of the guys that we lost 18 Americans in one night. But Jimmy Martin was one of the 18 Americans that we lost in one night. And it was the same night that I got hurt. And, uh, you know, once you've bled for freedom, it has a flavor that the unprotected will never know. Yeah. And uh, I, I I tried it. When I came to Nashville, my goal was to tell the story of those who couldn't tell it for themselves and uh, write songs and, and, and maybe tell the story. And one of the things I do when I go out on stage, I ask three questions. And one of them's how many people here know who Amy Winehouse is? And everybody's like, yeah, 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 I know that. And then I say, "Who does anybody here know who Robin Williams is? And they're like, yeah, 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 I know. And then the third question I ask is, how many people here know the name of one person who died for your freedom? And there might be a hand shoot up here and a hand shoot up there, but it's really crickets. And so I was like, if you don't know the story, if you don't know the name of one guy who died for your freedom, let me tell you about Jimmy Martin and Cornell Houston. And, uh, you know, I always try to make sure that I get on stage and tell the name of the two people that was intimately involved with me that lost their life. And uh, just try to make sure that everybody knows the name of somebody. You know, I picked Amy Winehouse and, and, and Robin Williams because both of them had what most people would think they had it all. They had, you know, everything that could make you happy in life. And then they're not here anymore. And when I decided to start Warrior Rounds, it was because the 22 a day number really just ticked me off because that's a stupid number. And people who come back from war need to understand that if the enemy didn't kill you over there, there's no reason to let them kill you over here because 22 a day is a stupid number. So after the Black Hawk Down incident that inspired the movie, how many more years were you in the Army and what did service look like after that for you? Well, I went to Panama and then I went to Somalia and then I went to Haiti and all in all, I had, uh, just, a, just under four years total service, but because of my wounded stuff and going through the VA and trying to get medical care, it was just a better chance for me to get out for a minute. And if I wanted to go back, I could have went back, but I wasn't a hundred percent anymore and I wasn't exactly what I felt like I could be all that I could be, you know, uh, I took some shrapnel on my shoulder and I couldn't do pull-ups anymore. And pull-ups was one of the requirements to go through green beret training. And if I couldn't do pull-ups, 
and I couldn't be a Green Beret because that's all I'd wanted to be since I was reading Lou the Moore and watching John Wayne play Green Beret on TV. I wasn't sure that's that the regular military was where I wanted to stay for 20 years. Yeah. So I took a break and decided I was going to try to get my head right. And if I wanted to go back, I could. But along that path over the next 18 to 24 months, <clears throat> God brought music back into my life. And I ended up back in Nashville in 97. Black Hawk Down was in 93. And then by 1997, I'm in Nashville trying to write songs and tell the story of Jimmy Martin and Cornell Houston and making sure that they didn't die for somebody who wasn't going to talk about their service and wasn't yeah. going to tell their story because they weren't allowed to tell it anymore. What do you remember about each of those guys? Well, Jimmy... My third week of basic training, my kid brother drowned. I wasn't there. He went out with some of his buddies, got out on the lake, and uh, I get a phone call, and they're like, your kid brother, you know, Brad, my aunt called, and she said, hey, I'm sorry to tell you, but Brad has died, and you're going to have to come home for the funeral. <clears throat> I hadn't been in the army long enough to be paid yet. So my first sergeant, drill sergeant, was having trouble finding any paperwork proof to take me to the Red Cross so that I could get an emergency loan to fly home for the funeral. So because I didn't have a LES, which is a leave and earning statement, they didn't know how to take me to the Red Cross if they couldn't prove that I was getting an income with an LES. And we're, I'm sitting outside the first sergeant's office for a couple of hours. And finally, this group of guys came down and uh, they knocked on the first sergeant's door and they're like, first sergeant, can we speak to you? And the first sergeant said, sure, what's up? And he's like, well, we took up a collection and we'd like to help buy Private Cooper's plane ride home to bury his brother. Mm. Yeah. And uh, these guys that I had only met three weeks ago had taken up like a $850 collection. And they told me to get my plane ride home and come back. And if there was any money left to buy some flowers for my mama. But they said, you need to come back and finish because we want you to, we want you to finish with us. Hmm. And I don't know if that, I don't know if I would have ever made it through basic training and AIT if I didn't feel like I owed them something. Yeah. Because when I came back, I was not in the great mind frame of kill, 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 and, you know, doing push-ups and learning how to do all that stuff the right way. But one of the guys that was in that group of guys that brought the money down was Jimmy Martin. And when we came back, back in the early 90s, when you were doing basic training, you didn't get, get to keep any personal items. But when I came back from the funeral, they let me keep a picture of my brother. And uh, at night, I would go into the shower after lights out, and I would grieve. I would try to box it all up and keep it in a box. And then I would go in there and have my emotional breakdown of the day in the showers. And about the third night, this guy walks in. And never said a word. He just sat down on the other side of the shower. And uh, 
I finally got up and went back to my rack and went back to my bunk and we never even spoke the first night. And the second night they came in there and I'm in there and about 10 or 15 minutes later, here, here he comes and, he, and I'm like, man, what are you doing? He said, I'm not going to let you cry by yourself. And that guy was Jimmy Martin. Mm. So when we finished basic and AIT and we went to Fort Drum together, we asked if we could be roommates and they let us be roommates. And a little less than 18 months later, Jimmy would be dead in Mogadishu, Somali on the street. Cornell Houston was an engineer that was attached to my unit to be the sapper, which is the engineer. Uh, he was in charge of demolition, so if we needed something blown up, he could blow it up for us while we were out on mission. And my job as the 60 gunner was to protect the attachments because they were part of the ad hoc headquarters squad because they weren't trained infantry. So they were attached to us. So I was told to take care of them and get them loaded into the vehicles. And Cornell was the team leader for the engineers and about I don't know, 11 hours into the firefight, Cornell caught a bullet in the chest and had a sucking chest wound. And we started carrying him and doctoring him. And we got him all the way back to the, at the end of the firefight, we got him back to the compound and uh, we got him all the way to Germany. And he died three days later of an infection. Hmm. And when you're in Africa, there's nothing you can do to stop an infection. We stopped the bleeding. We kept him alive. He got three days in Germany before he passed away, but Cornell would end up passing away too. And one of the things that I knew about Cornell was when we got out of that vehicle, here's this big 6'2 white guy from the hill country of Tennessee, and here's this little black guy from Mobile, Alabama. And they didn't care. The Somalis didn't care who they killed. They just wanted to kill an American. And I know for a fact, and one of the things that I'll carry with me and one of the stories I try to always tell is that we all believe red. When we got out of that vehicle, they didn't care what our rank was. They didn't care what our color was. They didn't care what our ethnicity was. They just wanted to kill Americans. And until we can get that right, nothing else is going to matter. Yeah. American. I've never, I've been on five continents through travel and, and the military and then personal travel through mission trips and so on and so forth. But in the five continents I've been in, not one place that I go that somebody didn't tell me that they wanted to be an American. And until Americans that are born here can get over the entitlement issue and appreciate where they are versus thinking they are owed something else, we're never going to get this right. Yeah. When I was in Haiti, when I was in Haiti, the State Department decided that we were going to put some extra money into the local economy. So instead of me filling sandbags, they hired local Haiti, Haitians to fill sandbags so that we could give them $7 a day to put some American capital into their local economy. 
Well, we would vary the count at the front gate of how many people we were going to hire every day. Because we didn't want everybody trying to count down the line and figure out where they needed to be. So we would hire between 60 and 100 people every day to do manual labor around the camp. Well, this one guy sat out there in line for two days waiting to get a job for $7 a day. On the third day, we were getting down to the bottom, and I, I don't remember what the exact head count was, but we were like four or five people away from the cutoff for the day. And this one guy had sat there for two days waiting to get a $7 a day job. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps in front of him. And the guy that jumped in front of him didn't want to sit there for two days, so he, he was trying to cut the line. And the guy that had sat there for two days took out his machete and just cut the guy's head off. Hmm. It's in, in, in Camp Haitian Haiti, I watched the guy die, and I watched the guy kill a guy for a $7 a day job. And then I sit here and watch us complaining because we don't get free health care and free college. Yeah. In a country, in a country where we won't work for $7 an hour. That's a difference, folks, that people that have never left this country will never know. Freedom has a price to protect it will never know. And those are the kind of stories that I know for a fact, and I have witnessed for a fact, that I feel like God has led me to tell as I share my story. And now the story has come full circle as your son has just recently graduated basic training and moved on to his next phase in his military career. I'm very proud of that boy. He's out in Fort Huachuca. He's learning hmm. to be military intelligence out at, in Arizona. He's, uh, he's, he's killing it. He's awesome. I, yeah. I love that boy. Very, 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 very much. So what are your prayers and hopes for him and for all the young men and women who embark on the journey that you once did? Well, there's things that I've seen that I, I would never pray on anyone. Mm -hmm. But my, my, my goal is that I've raised him to the point that when those moments come, that he's man enough to step up to that challenge. And I don't just mean man enough, but warrior enough. And a warrior can be a man or a woman. I, I've, I've seen some females in combat, and, and, and I've been around some people who, when the bullets were flying that, you know, didn't stand up to pee. But at the end of the day, a warrior's the guy, and General Boykin does this better than anybody I know. And he said that a warrior's not the person who has the biggest gun or the most bandoliers, but a warrior's the person who's internalized the struggle. A warrior's a person who understands that they're fighting. And, you know, in the beginning, it may be for the flag and the Constitution, but when the bullets start flying, you're fighting for the guy on your right and your left. And in today's world, in my business world, I try to teach my employees and the people around me that we are still fighting for the guy on our right and our left. Because if I'm not success, if I'm not successful, I can't write your check on Friday. If you're not successful, then I don't have the money coming in to write your check on Friday. 
So we all got to take care of our position. When we got out of that helicopter and I took, you know, my guys at the plumbing company, I'll jump in the ditch with any of them at any point. If I, if, if that's what it takes to get the job done, we're going to get the job done. But at the, at the end of the day, whether we're a captain, a lieutenant colonel, or a private, when we jump out of that helicopter, they're shooting at all of us. And so many times in our society of America, when we get to that point where somebody's got the tie and somebody don't, then everybody's not equal anymore. But if we don't all succeed, none of us succeed. Yeah. And that's just, just, just it's hard to fathom if you haven't been in that chopper and saw it sit down and know that the minute you step out, everybody's getting shot at. So when you came home, like you sang in your song, Coming Home, that we'll hear here in a little bit, they took your guns but left you to fight. What did that fight look like for you? Back in 93, I mean 96, we didn't have cell phones in every pocket. We did. I didn't have an iPhone. I had an answering machine. And in 1996, I went 42 days. I went 42 days with an old answering machine without one message. And every day of that 42 days, my thought process was Cornell had kids and a wife and didn't get to come home. Jimmy had a wife and a pregnant wife that ended up having a miscarriage when she found out her husband wasn't going to make it home. And here I am 42 days in this one bedroom apartment and not even my family cares if I'm still here because nobody's called me. Nobody's left me a message. Now, 20 years later, I know my family wasn't calling because they didn't know how to talk to me. My family wasn't sure how to talk to me because I wasn't Timmy anymore. What I had went through in Mogadishu and Haiti had made me somebody they didn't recognize. And if I can't explain what I'm going through with my family, how can they talk to me if they don't know what to say? You know, the, the, the first Christmas when I came home, I went to my grandmother's because that's what we did on Christmas was we went to my grandmother's house for Christmas breakfast. And my dad had 10 brothers and sisters and they would all bring all their kids. And I, I got home on December the 19th from Mogadishu. And on Christmas morning, I'm at my grandmother's house. And there's people there that are asking me, did you have to kill somebody? Did you really have to kill somebody? Those are questions that in, in six days, I wasn't ready to answer. Those questions were questions that nobody should have to answer that went and served your country until they're ready to talk about it. People who have really been through some of the stuff that I've been through don't go around bragging about that. It took me, a, it took me 20 years to finally open the door to where I could actually have a conversation with a therapist or do some of the things that I do with veterans when we do warrior rounds. So in 97, when I came to Nashville and I started trying to write songs, I still wasn't ready to be honest 
because I was still trying to guard some of the stuff because the number one way to upset a combat wounded vet or a combat vet is to doubt what they're telling you. And I can see it in your eyes. If I start talking about what I've been through and I see in your eyes that you don't believe me, today I just walk away. Back back when it was raw and back before some of it healed for me, I would have been in your face like, man, you think I'm full of crap? Hey, you think you want to fight? You want to do it? I, I ain't scared of you. I was on go. I was sitting on go all the time. But now, 20 years later, I've learned how to temper that through music and tell and say what I need to say and do what I need to do and have the conversations that I need to have because I realize now that it doesn't have to consume everything that I do. What we've been through in life can either define us or it can consume us. And we get to choose. But it's harder to do that when it's raw. It's harder to do it when it's fresh. It takes some time of falling down and hitting your knees or getting drunk to where you you don't even know you're in the world anymore just to kind of get away from it. I've been in all those places. There's not one of those moments in this journey that I haven't hit. But if I can save one guy from scraping his knee by having a conversation, then that's what I'm required to do. And when we do these retreats, not only have I been in Nashville for 20 years now, and I've made songwriter battle buddies, but I take my military battle buddies and I bring them in and put them with these Nashville songwriters so that we can help them tell the story of those who can't tell it for themselves. And we do it in a Nashville tradition. We do it by putting those... uh, we, we do it by putting those feelings into a song that we can record and put it on a shelf. And then when we're ready for those moments where we want to honor that service that we did, we can take it down and listen to it. But we're not carrying it around like an old suitcase that gets beat up and banged up and then we don't end up honoring it because we've let it get beat to death. You know, when you carry that stuff like a chip on your shoulder, it loses some of its meaning when you can't, when you can't, what's the word I'm, it's it's bad when a songwriter can't find the word he's looking for. When you can't articulate what you're going through or what you're feeling and you don't know how to articulate that, you don't know how to communicate yeah. And the army and the military teaches us to shoot, move, and communicate. So many of us fail the third one of communication because we don't know how to articulate what we're feeling. We don't know how to say why. When my wife asked me, what's going on, JT? What's, what's up with you today? If I can't articulate that, I can't tell her how to cover my six because I can't tell her where the sniper fire is coming from. If I can articulate what I'm going through, then I give her a resource to help me shoot in the same direction that she's shooting instead of her shooting my butt because I can't talk to her. Yeah. And I would rather teach people and try to help people do that 
before they're on their third divorce. Let's learn how to do that when we get back. So we aren't doing it on our third divorce or on our sixth set of stepkids or trying to figure out why it didn't work the first time. Yeah. Because we didn't talk. We don't know how to communicate. Shoot, move, and communicate. My wife used to say, I want to sit there when we go in the restaurant. And I'd say, no, you sit there. Well, the one thing my wife didn't want me to do was telling her where to go, what to do. She wants to be a partner in this relationship. Well, she until I could explain to her that I want to sit where I can see who's walking into this restaurant and I can see that I don't want nobody walking up behind me. Until I could articulate it and explain to her why she had to sit in a certain spot of the restaurant instead of me, she didn't understand why when I walk in, I want to be sitting where I can see the front door. So if somebody walks in that's a threat, I can pay attention to that. Yeah, That's just one of those ticks that would drive her crazy because sometimes she just wanted to pick where to sit. Yeah. But when I could finally explain to her why I wanted to sit facing the door, she's like, okay, now I get it. But it took me a while to figure that out. Yeah. And if I can give somebody that piece of advice, my wife drives everywhere we go. I would be fine if I never sat behind the wheel again. Because when we first got married, I didn't like to let her drive because if there was a roadside bomb or a pile of trash on the side of the interstate, I wanted her to, to, to pull the car to the side because that pile of trash is where the IED was buried. Hmm. And then she realized, she finally realized, well, he wants to drive. He wants to be in control. He wants to just be the no, it wasn't about that. It was about knowing where the, the trouble was. Knowing, you know, I didn't want to hit an ID going down the interstate. But then I realized, too, that I had a problem because I had to be in control because <clears throat> I was basing everything on being in combat. Yeah. Well, now if she's driving, it doesn't even come into my head because I just let her take care of it. And I know that we're not in Mogadishu and I don't have to think that way. Yeah, for sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So when we talk about all the people you've helped through songwriting, one of the things I want to share is a clip from a family who is able to communicate their feelings through song. These are some young folks who lost a father, and it's a hard story to listen to. Well, at Warrior Rounds, we don't only just do veterans. Mm -hmm. We do Gold Star Kids. We just wrote a song with our first cancer survivor. A warrior, again, is somebody who's internalized the struggle. It's not just about who's got the biggest gun or the most bandoliers. But the video that you're about to play is about two, about a couple, four, three or four of my favorite people in the world. The Karjeskis. Their mama is awesome. These three kids are awesome. But their father came home from combat and ended up being one of the 22 a day. And to this day, I still have a hard time with him personally because
because I don't know how you could come back and be one of the 22 a day when you got these three beautiful kids waiting on you to be dad. But I don't judge that, and I'm not mad at him. I just, this is how far it goes for me to not still understand every reason why. But these Karjewska kids are so amazing. So yeah, Gold Star Family is basically a person or family who's lost a loved one that served in the military and our father um, was in the military. Whenever we were little, he got deployed um, after 9-11 and my mom moved to New York and basically he, um, he came home and basically he just shot himself. And that's how we became a Gold Star family. Our song is about how, like, everything we, like, went through with our dad, you know, passing away. It was, it was sad, and, you know, we didn't really get to know him. You know, we were too young. But um, it was about how we saw, like, pictures and videos and stuff of him and us and how happy we were and how our mom was, like, trying to be a mom and a dad for us, trying to help us to carry on, so. It was about us realizing how good it was before he passed away and how he gave us all that strength just from all of that and help us carry on with our life, you know. My mom being such a strong mother, she helped us out a lot, really. She cared about us. Yeah, I think I think it's really what she said. We. Um, all we can really rely on is pictures and memories. We don't really get to relive that moment. And um, yeah. I mean, we've been through a lot, but we always stay together. I mean, we argue, I mean, <laughs> we argue, but I mean, we still come back to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Caitlin actually said something really difficult to hear, but really beautiful about the fact that when she looked at pictures, you know, that she had to believe that the happiness in the pictures was something she could hold on to and was real. And that really stuck out to me. And so when we were talking about writing subjects, I said, you know, would you, is that something that y'all three would connect to, is to speaking about the pictures and that like, you know, sometimes no matter what's going on now or no matter how people felt in the pictures, like it all looks good in the pictures. And uh, we just worked through it, you know, verses, verses at a time and we got a chorus and we ended out with something that I think, I think they should be really proud of because they, I mean, I just, again, I just put it on paper, so. I just want to say that whatever you're going through, it's, it's, in the end, it's just going to make you stronger and you're going to get over it. And whatever happened, happened for a reason. You'll get through it, trust me. And you won't feel the pain that you had before. All you feel is love and strength in you to encourage someone else to step up and talk about what happened to them if they're ever feeling the same way. My name is Caitlin Krajewska. My name is Isaiah. And I'm Jackie. My name is Alexis Wilkins, and our song is called Pictures. 
What I would love for everyone to do is to head on over to warriorrounds.com and go watch their video and hear that song. It's there on the homepage and it's very poignant and I hope you go check it out. Now, however, I want to share with you the song I referenced earlier from JT Cooper. This is Coming Home on Fast Line Fast Track. I know these old back roads like the back of my own hand The boy who used to drive them got lost in a foreign land Everywhere I turn my head, I see nothing here has changed. But not one thing inside of me will ever be the same. I raise my hands in anger, shout up at the sky. My God, what were you thinking? What makes me the lucky guy? It's a battle just to be here. My mind all alone They took my weapons Left me fighting And they call it coming home The preacher said I'm lucky Him and God might think I am Freedom did spit on me Like the boys back from Vietnam I'm thankful for the thank yous I they mean well Hope they don't see the part of me That had to walk through hell I raise my hands in anger Shout up at the sky My God, what were you thinking? What makes me the lucky guy? It's a battle just to be here In my mind all along took my weapons, left me fighting, and they call it coming home. has been the greatest blessing that's come out of this warrior rounds program for you well you know i've never had a number one song and i some of my songwriter buddies are world-class number one songwriters 
Bobby Boyd has written with Lori Rounds, and he has God Bless the Broken Road for Rascal Flats. Uh, if Something Should Happen by Dare Wardley was number one. Well, it was written by my buddy Dan DeMay. Uh, I've had, I've got several people involved with Warrior Rounds that are number one hit songwriters. But the blessing that comes from somebody calling you and saying, JT, your song helped us get out of bed this morning. I wrote a song called Rise Again with a guy named Todd. And Todd was blown up with an IED. And one of the things that I never really comprehended, I asked Todd, I said, what's the worst part of your day? What What is it that you have the most struggle with in your PTSD and the things that are going on in your world? He said, man, it's just waking up in the morning. And I was like, I don't understand. What do you mean just waking up in the morning? He said, when I got blown up with the IED, the next thing I know, I woke up in a bed in a hospital in Germany. And when I woke up, there was a strange taste in my mouth. And the first thing that went through my head was who lived and who died and how did I get here? And he said, every morning when I wake up, the first thing I think about is that strange taste in my mouth. And I run back down the checklist of who lived and who died in that IED explosion. And he said, sometimes the hardest thing I do every morning is get my head off that pillow and just try again. And I never realized that it could start as soon as just waking up in the morning. You know, the sun's shining, the birds are chirping, but the first thing I taste is that adrenaline in the back of my throat. And then I have to run back through the checklist of who lived and who died the last time I woke up on that pillow. And until you face that and until you've actually lived that, you're never going to really understand. And that's okay. I'm not mad at civilians that's never had to go through that. I'm not mad at the people who never served in uniform. But just don't be mad at me when I know you don't know. Yeah, That's the difference. So what's next for Warrior Rounds? Well, between me, you, and the fence post, I'll, I'll make an announcement publicly that I haven't made very often since COVID hit. Back last February... We partnered and became an official partner with the Medal of Honor Society. In April of last year, we had a retreat set up where they were going to send us three Medal of Honor survivors. There's 71 before, before COVID, there were 71 living members of the Medal of Honor Society. And they were going to try to put all of the Medal of Honor winners through our program. They canceled it in April because of COVID and decided not to let our national treasures travel and put them at risk. So when COVID and all this other stuff is under control, we plan on starting our retreats back up with Medal of Honor winners. 
if we can start it after the first of the year and we get a handle on this stuff with COVID and everything that's been leading the news lately, our goal is to next year on Veterans Day to rent out the Ryman Auditorium and do Warrior Round Salutes the Medal of Honor mm. and, and air our first TV special. That's awesome. And then from that point on, we're going to try to find a weekly source or a monthly source where we can do Warrior Rounds on. We want to do Warrior Rounds just like Extreme Home Makeover meets The Voice. There you go. Where we're recording those interviews like you just saw with the Karjewski kids. And then we go on a live music venue and world debut their song. That's awesome. And if we put those two segments, the interview and the live show segments together and make that a segment mm -hmm. that goes on a weekly television show so that through the advertising money and the fundraising that we do through advertising and the live ticket sales, we can continue to write songs with Warriors. Well, this would be a good point to let everybody know that if you're interested in supporting Warrior Rounds or perhaps someone who could be helped by the organization and is interested in connecting with someone to help them put their feelings into song, uh, they can go to warriorrounds.com and check out everything there. So as we celebrate Veterans Day this week, how should our listeners view military service and the sacrifice that our servicemen and women make to keep America free? Well, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't script this. And I want all your listeners to know that you just said something that you and I hadn't even talked about. First and foremost, but I've got this song that's on our Warrior Rounds Volume 1 project. But I had this young guy here in Nashville. His name's Shelby Lowe. He's a good buddy of mine. We've been friends a long time. Great artist. And, and he finally came in and he said, JT, I want, he came in one day and he said, uh, I want we had a songwriting appointment. I said, what do you want to write about today, Shelby? Because when you're a songwriter and the artist comes in, you want to write something that they want to sing for the next 20 years. And when I, I talked to Shelby that day, I said, Shelby, what do you want to write about? And he said, man, I want to write one of your songs. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I want to write a patriotic song for somebody like you, for somebody like me that's never served. And I said, well, what do you want to put in that song? And he said, well, I want you to put everything in it that you think that I should know about what you went through serving in our country. And we ended up with a song called Stand. Sometimes I complain about this everyday morning drive. When I get up and go to work, I ain't worried that I might die. I've never laced up my boots and ran into a firefight. Never worn a uniform or offered up my life. So I'm gonna stand, cover my heart with my right hand. I sing every word to my dying day. Thank God I live in the USA. That flag ain't 
just a piece of cloth to me I know people bled red so I can be free I'm gonna honor that Say thank you all I can And by God, I'm gonna stand This one's close to my heart. I've never had to kiss my kids for what might be a last goodbye. My girls never waited on that call that might change her life. I'm never gonna stand around and watch your glory be shed aflame. You can kneel anytime you like, but I'll never do the same, cause I'm gonna stand. Cover my heart with my right hand. I'll breathe every word till my dying day. Thank God I live in the USA, that flag just a piece of cloth to me. I know people bled red so I could be free. I'm gonna honor that. Say thank you all I can. Hell yeah, I'll stand. Y'all go ahead and get on your feet. Yeah, I'm gonna stand Cover my heart with my right hand I breathe every word to my dying day Thank God I live in the USA That flag ain't just a piece of cloth to me I know people bled red so I can be free I'm gonna honor that Say thank you all I can and thank you all, because I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. Thank God I can stand. You can go check that out on Warrior Rounds and warriorrounds.com and Spotify and Apple Music. By, by the grace of God, stand and just honor those who didn't make it home and honor those who can't tell their own story. And thank you for letting me tell a few of those tonight. Well, JT, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track, and we hope you'll come back again and again so we can continue to get the word out about the impactful work you're doing here with Warrior Rounds. Thank you for being a friend of mine for life, Brett. Yes, man. I love you, brother. And I'm glad to glad to do it. Glad to have you on. And and you're one of the guys I look forward to uh checking up on uh, on Facebook every day and, and seeing what you're into and uh and just getting some encouragement, man. I love it. It's jtcooper.com and JT Cooper on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. But I just I'm just still being me, man. I'm not going to be Al Bundy sitting on the couch mad because nobody remembers that I was a hero, I, that, that I walked the streets of Mogadishu. America is a whole lot about what have you done for me lately. And I promise you that I'm going to stay on mission till the day I die. 
Well, next up on our salute to veterans, it's an honor to bring in a lady who has honorably served our country as an Army intelligence officer and now is a singer and songwriter with a powerful new song and quite a story to tell. Jenny Lee Miller, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thank you for stopping by tonight. We appreciate it. How have you been? I've been great, you know, just trying to get through this crazy week. So, <laughs> so uh, you got the new single that uh, dropped uh, on Friday, God and Country. And you're out there trying to get the word out as we honor those who have served our country. Uh, what's that whole process been like? And what's the feedback been like uh, since you released the single? Yeah, so it's been awesome. We had a lot of support uh, from a lot of different military bases, uh, kind of like writing about the song or playing it. And, uh, you know, I recorded it kind of during Corona. So that was interesting. Uh-huh. And um, it was good to get it done. I, I've been wanting to do it for a couple of years, but finally found the right producer who was a good fit and uh, we made it happen. So I'm excited. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, a, a guy who should be familiar to, to all of our followers here, Colt Barber. Uh, our buddy who's been on the show quite a few times here uh, and who coincidentally is going to have his own live stream on here on Friday. So we'll talk about that a bit later on as well. But uh, before we get going today, you want to kick things off with a song? Sure. Yes, we will. Uh, we'll do a song. This one's called American Heart. Got her daddy's strength and her mom's faith Leading every step she takes Her dreams are painted in the house her grandpa made With grandma's love in her lock and hope in her heart Nothing standing in her way But the open road she takes Fight for this, die for this, you can't take away From a father's blood we carry the dreams of yesterday, the American heart. Freedom paid by the selfless and the brave. Nothing can take it away, the American heart. Well, he's 18 now, and he's leaving home, and his mother is there, raising two kids on her own. She prays they say he'll be all right. He signed up when his father died. It's all he has, but he believes it's some kind of legacy. Nothing standing in his way. But the open road he takes. Fight for this, die for this. You can't take away the American heart. From a father's blood we carry the dreams of yesterday, the American heart. Freedom paid by the selfless and the brave. Nothing can take it away, the American heart. 
century what we have can be taken away take our dreams take our faith but you'll never have this heart inside of me fight for this die for this you can't take away the american heart and my father's blood we carry the dreams of yesterday the american heart freedom paid by the selfless and the brave nothing can take it away the american heart that's beautiful thank you so much i created a faux pas earlier on i should have asked you to introduce your guitar player before we got going yeah so this is uh my little brother and uh he helps write the songs oh you don't have a name yeah that's right his name's dave Miller. so hey hey what's going on everybody so welcome to Dave. Thank you so much for being a part of this. So like I like to do with all my guests here, you know, when we get going here, tell me about the beginning for you. Tell me about where you grew up uh, and what influenced you to uh, get involved or uh, become interested in country music. Sure. So I grew up in um, Connecticut and I really didn't get into country until I served when I was 18 because a lot of my friends were from the South, Texas, um, middle of you know, the Midwest and everybody grew up with Johnny Cash and everybody. So they kind of introduced me to all those guys. Um, I grew up with Randy Travis though, as a kid, my mother listened to him, but you know, there's not really not a lot of country around here. If you've ever been to new England, there's only one station in our state of country music. So it's like not really popular here. So I got involved in that when I uh, was overseas, I picked up a guitar, I started playing it and I wrote a lot of songs when I was over there. So there's a lot of downtime. And then I decided I wanted to, you know, put my writing out in albums and just started doing that recently. So. So was that really just the beginning of your songwriting uh, when you were in the service? Yeah, really. I started writing over there. I mean, there is a lot of downtime, even when you're deployed, sometimes you have extra time you're there for a year sometimes people are there for two years and you know you just have you need that time to just kind of relax music is really healing for everything you're going through so when did you actually start performing um i would say like five years ago kind of lightly i do it in college wow. but then you know i really got serious about it probably like a year and a half ago about really seriously performing not just doing like open mics or whatever so what what gave you the idea just to get in front of a mic and, and start going for it well i always wanted to be a singer when i was a kid i just didn't want to you know i just felt like it was too selfish to just do that only you know i always wanted to serve um, I always felt called to give back to the country. You know, I have a lot of family that was in the military, um, first responders and stuff. And I just, I, you know, I wanted to do something else too, besides just, you know, the music dream. But I always knew the music dream would come back. So, I mean, did, did you always feel that was a pull to get into the military? Or when did you really start getting serious about enlisting? Um, well, I was younger. I was uh, early teens. I always used to like watch FBI stuff on the History Channel. My My dad was always into that. And you know, I said, well, if I want to go into that kind of work, I got to serve or do something or at least study it in school. And I decided to serve rather than go to school first. Um, a lot of people aren't ready to go to college when they're 18. I certainly wasn't. So I went after the military and I think that was better for me. I wouldn't have been able to focus when I was 
that young. So, so how would you describe your time in the military and what, what did that look like and what all, what all did you do while you were in? Yeah. So I got pretty lucky with, you know, not having anything too terrible happen to me. Um, you know, and I, I was able to meet a lot of great people that mentored me. I got to see, you know, Texas, Arizona. I lived out there, uh, went over to the middle East, you know, um, they, it was a good, I had really good teachers that were part of my unit and really smart people that kind of led me. Cause that, that really makes a difference, you know, with who you're deployed with, who you're, who's in your unit and stuff. So I got really lucky with really nice people that helped me along the way. And we should mention the U S army, correct? Yes, that's correct. And, uh, an intelligence officer. Yep. So how did you gravitate to- toward that as opposed to any other, uh, career within the military? Well, I was just always into it, you know, like I used to watch a lot of the History Channel and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of nerdy, too. So it just like kind of fit me, you know, like I'm not on the front lines. It's not my thing. Um, And I just, you know, I like the human element of things. I like talking to people. Um, I like analytics, you know, so intelligence was kind of like the path for me to go. It was either that or fly, but flying was going to take up a lot of my life. Like I have pilots in my family and you know, you, you got to do 10 years. I mean, you want a career in flight, you got to go for a long time. And I just, I knew I would never be able to do music if I was a pilot. So. So how did you weigh that? You talk about uh, maybe wanting to do something with the FBI or law enforcement or something. And then there's this pull for music. How, how did music win out? Well, I had some interviews at 25 with some very top secret people and it was great. I mean, they're wonderful people, patriots, but you really have to want it because if you have anything else pulling at your heart, whether it's a boyfriend, um, you know, like a music career, whatever it is, you, you're not going to succeed. You have to hundred percent want it. These people go in and they know exactly what they want and they give up their lives for years and go live in DC. And it's like, I wasn't ready to do that because I was never going to be able to do music. It's just, you have to, it's one or the other. So you got out of the military and then uh, right into college from there. Yep, went right to uh, University of Connecticut and, you know, would go study and then go to the music rooms and play and write songs and just try to get better at my art and stuff. So I wasn't like the best college student. I mean, I got my degree, so that's all that matters. Uh, what's your degree in? Um, It's in political science. Okay, so you got a little fallback here, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I still work a day job like all us musicians have to now because of Corona anyway, so. What, uh, how did you go about building a career then as you started out on that track and, and knew that music was what you wanted to do? Well, I just started writing. Um, I met with some people in Nashville, but then I, I went there when I was 21 and I just was too, I feel like I was too young. I had like no money. Like I didn't want to stay there and not know what I was going to do. And I wanted to really be ready because once you go out there, people don't forget who you are. So you have to be ready with your sound and who you are and, you know, because it's easy to just go out there and then get fallen off the map because you weren't ready. So I, I wanted to really go home to Connecticut and figure out who I was, figure out what my sound was, you know, keep up my writing and then go down and make an album when I was ready. And that that's when I think recently, two years ago, I, I was ready for that. Uh-huh. And so I, I was studying a lot in uh, Manhattan, too, with a teacher and just really trying to get where I need to be. So so then you just pick up. Did, did you pick up and move down there or, or what did that look like? Yeah, I actually went in 2018. I lived there for a year and uh, I'm glad I'm back now because of Corona, but I still, I, it's like my second home. Like I go there, if it wasn't for Corona, I'd be there every month, either recording or meeting with my PR team or whatever. But because of Corona now, I mean, we don't go there as much. We went there. When did we go there? Uh, A couple months ago to record God and country, but that's my second home. 
Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you like about it? Oh, I just love how it's so like, you know, there's people from all over there. It's, it's actually, I love New York, but I love Nashville more because Nashville's like you're in New York, but it's so small that you can go to the bar and like see, you know, like Lee Bryce, like it's just such a small town and everybody knows people. And it's like, you don't really have it in New York. New York is just so much bigger. So, so as you kind of get more connected, that that's one thing I'm always curious about is how do you go about making the right connections? I mean, you're up there in Connecticut, you're wanting to do this out of Nashville, even though it is kind of a small world, uh, you know, if you walk into it blindly and don't know people, you're not going to succeed. So how do you go about right. making those connections to get you to where you are right now? So right now, I mean, I've been doing a lot of networking online. Um, I had people reach out to me on Instagram to to write and do a duet. Actually, this artist in the UK, I'm, I'm working with him. We're going to have a duet coming out next uh, spring. And that's really been my way to market because I used to pick up a lot of people during shows and they'd come up to me after the show and say, Hey, I want to write with you. I want to write a song or I'm this person. I'm, I work for this agency, whatever, but we don't get that anymore since Corona happened. So it's really been Instagram. It's been online, a lot of online stuff. So uh, have you been doing a lot of zoom sessions? Yep. Yeah. Getting used to that. So, you, you know, you, even though you're, you're out of the military doing what you're doing now, it, it looks like it's been important to you to continue to honor, honor military veterans and also uh, active duty to, to do stuff through your music. I can't really go to sing at Yellow Ribbon events right now because nothing's really happening. But that's what I did last year a lot. Um, went to the VA hospital. I'm trying to look to volunteer for USAA stuff. Um in the future, but it really, everything's been so hard because of the lockdown, you know? Um, but we've had a lot of military people reach out to me about God and country, uh, kind of message me, you know, people that are active duty now say, Hey, this really means a lot to me. This song, you know, it makes me feel like I have hope because everything in these elections has made people really like upset too. So no matter whose side you're on, it's just been crazy. So, you know, any, any hope song is like good for people. Yeah. For sure. What was it like performing at those Yellow Ribbon events? It was very moving. Um, it's difficult not to be upset because I have been there and done that. And I like didn't come back wounded. And, you know, I always feel like, you know, like guilty, almost like, you know, like these people went through all this and stuff. But I do really feel happy that people, you know, they can relate to my music because they have been there and done that and stuff. And somebody giving them a voice because they don't really get a voice. I mean, uh, when's the last time you've heard like that kind of music? I mean, they don't really have too much of it. They used to, yeah. but I don't really hear too many veterans. They appreciation songs anymore. No, no. And that's when, when we find them, that's what we try to, uh, to put out here because it's, it's important. And I hope everybody listening to this knows that it's not just a, a novelty. It's not just something that we take lightly, but it's something that, that uh, we're passionate about because we are thankful for those who have sacrificed for us. So thank you. If you're, if you're listening and you're out there and you have served, that's hugely important. What was your biggest takeaway uh, from your military service? Well, I just miss the people that I worked with because they were some of the highest quality people. I mean, people that would just like drop everything and go pick you up because you don't have a ride home or like, I, they don't make people like that anymore. And I don't really have too many people like that in my life. I have maybe one or two, but I miss all my battle buddies. I'm still friends with them on Facebook and they live all across the country. But, you know, it's like we went to war together. Like 
of course they're still my friends. Like I have to keep them. I, I keep them really close. You know, what are some of your goals for this music career? Now that, now that you're starting to put music out there, put yourself out there. What, what do you hope to accomplish? Yeah. I just hope to really reach more people. Um, every little thing that I get, even if it's like small or whatever, I just, I'm appreciative of it because you know, there's a window when you're really young to get into music and I didn't really have that opportunity. Like a lot of people have that. I didn't, I don't know. I just didn't really have that. I was always very shy as a kid. I wasn't really ready to go out there and do that. Like some people have that confidence. I don't really have that, but at least now, like I'm doing it and I know who I am. I know my sound. I know what I want to achieve. I'm not just going blindly into a record deal at 14 and being like, okay, make yeah. me famous. Like, cause that can get dangerous. You know, if at least now I know kind of, all right, my three things, I want to impact people in a positive way. I want to have a pretty broad reach and I want to appeal to um, middle America veterans. I, I come from that kind of family and I just, I, that needs more of a voice in country music now, I think so. Well, the new single God in Country came out last Friday is doing well and it is produced by our friend Colt Barber, who's a great artist in his own right and now coming into his own as a producer. Tell me what it was like working with him. The first producer I've met that like really gets my vision. Like he's he's great as a musician and a producer. You, you've aligned yourself with good people. I think that that'll take you far, and people with integrity too, because that, that's yeah. important. Agreed. Well, before we go any further, will you play that new song, "Gotten Country," for us? Sure. Okay. I was just a little girl at 18 Mama couldn't understand why I wanted to wear green Knew there was more than this small town So I packed my things and I headed out From ribbons in my curls to tying my hair up high to count the days when I had to say goodbye. From ballet shoes to dress blues, from pom-poms to parachutes, the little girl just grew up way too fast. When they asked me why I went in, I say, to protect the ones I love and stand for the weak to believe in something bigger than me to live for God and country broke my daddy's heart when I went to war his little girl was strong but this is not what he asked for and i'm nothing compared to those who died those who gave all who gave their lives when they asked me why i went in i say to protect the ones i love and stand up for the to believe in something bigger than me to live for God 
country. Nothing ever compared to that day. Touching down in the gray west of A. I never saw the grass so green or the sky so blue. Something we all forget sometimes. I the greatest like I never knew. To protect the ones I love and stand up for the Excellent. And again, that's a new single, God and Country, and that's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I know a lot of people, I, I mean, they try to put themselves in positions and may draw from some experience, but uh, that sounds like that's 100% you right there, huh? Yes, uh, it's very personalized and, you know, been wanting to write that for years. So finally we got, we wrote that down in 2018. So I'm happy with it. So we talked earlier about about the military service. If there are any younger folks that are are getting ready to maybe get out of high school or, or trying to figure out what they want to do with their life, what would be your best sales pitch for embarking upon a uh, career in the military or at least even doing doing a, a tour with with the military? Yeah, well, I, I would say what I said to my little brother. He's uh, my little brother's 20 and he wants to follow my footsteps. And I would say just please know what you want to do, kind of like going into music, because if not, you're going to be strong every which way. And you you really got to come with the upper hand because, you know, they have a lot of slots to fill and they'll put you wherever, you, wherever they want to. So you have to really know what you want. And that way you're happy, too, because you're going to be stuck in this for three, four years sometimes. So you really got to know what job you want to do. What do you like to do? What are you good at? Are you analytical? You know, do you want to be tactical? You want to be on the front lines? Like those things you really need to think about so that at least when you're doing it, you'll be a little happier. And now you come back after your service and you kind of assess the needs of veterans. What do you think this country needs to do a better job of? And how can folks watching this be a part of the solution? Well, I think that veterans need to be, you know, better understood because people have no idea what they've been through and they just make assumptions based off of a psychology book, which has nothing to do with what really went they went through. Um, you can start by looking at what cops go through. You know what I mean? That's the same kind of PTSD. It's it's all kind of related. Um, but there's such a stigma, too, if you were in the military, like, oh, you have PTSD, like that needs to go away that people need to understand you know, and I think our president has done a, a good job with helping with the VA, um, a lot of the issues that were kind of cleaned up there. And 
that needs to continue too because you know these guys are coming back wounded and some of them can't even get care so that needs to you know like i said president trump has helped a lot with that but we got to keep it up so jenny lee if folks want to follow your career download music or just uh, keep up with the day-to-day happenings where can they go yes they can go to uh jennyleemiller.com and on instagram i'm jenny lee miller Twitter is actually JLM country and Facebook is just facebook.com slash Jenny Lee Miller. So. so make sure you go check them out and, uh, and support everything that Jenny Lee's doing here, doing great work. And I know we're going to hear a lot from her and hopefully, uh, you can get out here and, uh, start touring again and, uh, and get in front of some of these folks one-on-one here. That would be awesome. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here tonight on Fast Line Fast Track. And we hope you'll come back uh, w- w- whenever you've got new music to share. Thank you so much. And we also want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. I hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you go and check them out. They've got a great selection of vinyl CDs and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. They're open Sunday to Thursday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Fridays and Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. So when they're open, stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. I also want to say a special shout out to our friends at Farm Life and thank them for their support of Fast Line Fast Track. Please go over and give them a like on their Facebook page so you can connect with others interested in agriculture. And join me over on their page every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern as I join my buddy Brandon Deal to talk about the things that are on farmers' minds. And speaking of things, on farmers' minds. Hey, the tax man is coming. Do you have equipment to buy? Now's the time to get those Section 179 purchases in before the end of the year. So head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. And while you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is still being delivered directly to your mail box and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country and remember to subscribe to the fast line fast track podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts spotify stitcher tune in iheart radio amazon music deezer audible and radio.com also be sure to hit us up on all the socials facebook twitter instagram linkedin and youtube well it's time for us to get on out of here so until next time it's brent adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.